Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Tribe Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And following up from last week's episode where we were talking about the way that the mental health system has various expectations of therapists throughout their development from graduate school all the way through retirement, as we align those with the developmental tasks of where a therapist is in their individual development, it really looks like there's a ton of opportunities that are systemically caused that can lead to potential burnout and vulnerability for therapists on their developmental track. And as we talked through last week's episodes that I encourage an emotionally focused supervision approach that does help to address some of these individual developmental tasks, but that our system currently doesn't really do a good job of embracing that. Part of that is based in productivity. Part of that is based in meeting budgets or meeting certain requirements for contracts or or things of those natures. And Katie had suggested that there potentially could be a way, a magical place that pays their employees, (laughs) that provides for supervision, that focuses on some of the emotional responses. And Katie, go ahead and engage us in some more of that magical thinking. Yeah, I I think that was your magical thinking. I actually was saying that it was this magical place that I don't know exists yet, but I do think it's a worthwhile conversation to see how at each stage can we participate in improving these systems. And I think the biggest piece, and this is for kind of decision makers, and we'll come back around developmentally what people do, but I think it's really looking at how do you incorporate as many of these things into a budget that you can? Because what the jargon is in corporate world is employee engagement. And when you lose staff, when the turnover is so high, it doesn't matter that you're not paying them well or that you're getting every iota of billing out of them before they crash and burn. You're not getting the client care that you need. And it costs a lot for staff to turn over. So I think it's not so magical to say, hey, let's set productivity standards that are reasonable. Let's you know, kind of really design supervision to have some of these extra pieces in it so that we are nurturing the development of our staff. Let's incorporate training into these things because there are cost savings and way deeper than we want to go for this conversation, but there are cost savings of 
keeping staff versus having the rapid turnover, either from people failing or people leaving. And so I think it's a really important conversation, but I do think it potentially is one that needs to happen in larger conversations with stakeholders and other people who can really dig in and say, hey, what strategy are you able to incorporate? How do we get as many of these things in it as possible? Because doing it the way we're doing it, we're burning people out and then they're also just leaving because they can't. And I think oftentimes when somebody gets licensed, they leave the system anyway because they there's no desire to stay. And not everybody should be in private practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that in looking at this from an emotionally focused therapy approach, as far as supervision goes, I think that the first thing that we need to do is understand that therapists see the world differently. We're, we're not... Mm-hmm going to see the world the same way as an accountant or an engineer and that efficiency is not necessarily something that is inherent to a therapist. Yes, yes. I'm not saying that we get rid of productivity standards, but in following a supervision model based on emotionally focused therapy, emotionally focused therapy, the first thing that you do is that you let clients tell their story and identify what their perceptions are. Mm -hmm. So just imagine a DMH agency or a a treatment center where the first question in supervision isn't about administrative tasks, but it's, how are you doing this week Mm -hmm. with your clients? And I do think that happens. I think that's, that's the individual level where people can engage in that. I think the difficulty is the expectation to get to the administrative task and to get to the other pieces. And so to me, I do think individual supervisors have that capacity to engage in that way. It's just we need to nurture that more, I think. And I think that part of this really does go with training supervisors better because oh, yeah. in so much of this that as people in in this mythical agency that we're talking about right now <laughs> within this um, reality agency, not one in particular, but if this already seems like something that you've already worked in, the people who don't leave right when they get licensed stick mm-hmm. around, they move into administrative or clinical supervision roles, or oftentimes both because it's a combined mm-hmm. sort of situation. So even then the supervisor has productivity that they're supposed to be met. It's ingrained into you by this point that after several years of working as a pre-licensed therapist and then a couple of years getting your feet wet as a licensed therapist until you can reach your two-year licensure marks, that way you can supervise, is that you're ingrained into a system that looks at output, not necessarily at kind of this, how you're functioning through the system. And we have a couple of ways of, of really encouraging this, this modality. One is that if this has always been the way, then it's pretty easy to continue yeah. that that's the way. But the other one is that we keep telling therapists that therapy is not about you. And mm-hmm. when we take that same idea back to supervision, then we're just furthering along this process. If supervision's not about you and it's just about your clients, then it adds just another layer of emotional separation. That's a really good point. I think for me, there's aspects of this that I think people are really trying to do. And I think the the system makes it very difficult because of all the pressures that are there, you know, productivity, 
you know, budgets, that kind of stuff. And I think in, in private practice, it can be there too with, you know, do you have enough clients? What, you know, are you collecting fees? You know, that kind of stuff. Are you negotiating appropriate rates? But, but the business aspects are going to be there. So I don't think it's appropriate for us to say, oh, you can't, you know, we can't worry about productivity or how much money a client pays in a, for a private pay session or whatever. I think what, we, what we're really talking about is recognizing that the therapist has to also be included in the conversation. Because okay. I, think, I think the business aspects, whether they're in an agency and it's, an, it's employee skills, or if it's entrepreneurial skills, those things are real. And they feel bad for therapists. And so I think sometimes I've been in environments where there are, this is happening that there is this nurturing environment. People are asking, how are you doing? There's, there's lots of engagement. There's lots of training. There's a, you know, the productivity standard is fairly reasonable. They're always higher than people want them to be, but fairly reasonable. And there's discussion of efficiency and there's discussion of productivity and scheduling and documentation. And those things feel like it doesn't, like I don't matter, but there's, it's not one or the other. They both have to be there. And I think therapists are going to have to to get used to this idea that if they want to run a business or if they want to be a, an employee or a manager or whatever in those environments, you have to have those things. And that's manageable if you also have this piece where I'm, as, I'm important as a clinician, as a human being, as a professional. Because I think as you as you learn how to become a better clinician and you feel really good about your skills as you are seen as a human being that potentially has stuff going on outside in the world. And as someone takes interest in, in nurturing you and mentoring you into the next stages of your career, the other stuff doesn't feel so onerous and like cog in a machine. It's just, that's a fact. We can't be, we can't be therapists without the business aspects of it. And I, so I, I want to find that nuance because I don't think Making, I don't think taking away productivity standards is going to help the situation. No, I think no, it's balancing it with this human interest and connection. And I think that part of what goes into these administrative clinical supervisor roles is that mm-hmm. what they're, what's being expected of them out of that hour or out of that two-hour group is not only dictated by the bookkeepers who are looking at Mm-hmm. productivity standards being met, but there's also a certain level of concern from human resources of like, don't get too much into your employees' lives because that could put us at risk. And so you you are balancing a number of hats in this situation yeah. of things that could really be effective in translating into improved client work by looking at emotional reactions, by being okay in talking about the things that might be coming up for a personal clinician in response to what's going on, whether it's transference, whether it's counter-transference, whether it's transference within the supervisory relationship, whatever it might be. And yes, I, I do agree that there's a line where the supervisor should not wade into and should recommend, hey, go deal with that in therapy. Yeah. But I think that we shouldn't be so shy of that line that we don't even look in that direction at all. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. 
From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I agree. And I don't know exactly where the line is. I think for me, it depends person by person. And I think it's finding ways to be connected and authentic without being intrusive. And and certainly I've, I've experienced all different levels of that. I've had supervisors who were very intrusive, supervisors who were very standoffish, ones that I got along with, ones I didn't. And I think um, as a supervisor, there's been, you know, I've had my own process. I guess the question I have is, is I, I've always been in an environment where the administrative, the clinical, the personal, all those hats were always worn by the supervisors. And so I don't see it as a challenge. And I've seen people talk about kind of, oh, well, now that I'm a supervisor, you know, I, I can't have that business relationship with my clinician, or I can't have that personal relationship with my clinician. And I guess to me, I, I want, maybe if you can talk a little bit more about it, because I feel like there's there's this professional boundary that feels so obvious to me that still opens space for all of those things to be present. So I don't see the challenge as much as what you're describing. I think that part of this comes to totally sidestep your question immediately. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think part of this comes with what the expectation about supervision is starting in grad school, because Mm -hmm. what I've seen in kind of working in these different environments, and I am but one professor trying to change, you know, several lives at a time, but I didn't get the sense when I was going through school of really what that supervision relationship was supposed to be like, that Mm -hmm. it was just kind of a place that you were encouraged to go and talk about your clients and that you would probably get taught some new techniques. But school was school and taught you theories and this kind of stuff. And supervision and whatever your practicum sites were going to be was a completely separate world. And so I think that there's something that needs to be done to teach graduate students, teach teach trainees earlier what to expect out of supervision. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't just about teaching supervisors to be better supervisors, but it's also teaching trainees how to be part of that supervisory alliance as well. And I think we've talked about that on a couple of previous episodes, and I appreciate you, you know, kind of grounding it, but I still want my question answered. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I don't don't necessarily, I think that for me, and maybe it was how I learned about supervision, but there, there is a complexity in the relationship between supervisor and supervisee. And so where do the challenges come in? I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's (laughs) in in supervision. We talk about the parallel process, the Mm -hmm. process between a supervisor and supervisee is very similar when they're discussing cases of what the supervisee and the client are facing. And I think that what you're referring to and what I'm 
now bringing an answer to you is that it's about looking at that parallel process. It's the same issues that come up between a therapist and client that can come up between a supervisor and supervisee because there is a power dynamic there. Mm -hmm. And the more hats that you stack on that supervisor, if it's administrative, if it's uh, clinical, if it's employer, all of these things add more of a power differential. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of unspoken or even spoken barriers where uh, you have somebody who's in this power position also being like, hey, let's be chummy. Let's be pals. Yeah. So I can see people, I, people who've not had that power differential and, and the only time they've really held that power differential is with their therapy clients. I could see that transition being tough. I think for me, almost immediately I moved into leadership. So that different relationship that you have when there is a power differential is fairly automatic for me. And so I think I can see that being very difficult because I think you want to make sure that those boundaries are held, that you're respecting that because there's a power differential, there's kind of a less of a feeling that they can opt in and opt out of personal things or conversations or that kind of stuff. So I think, I think that is important, but I think it's the same across all those domains as supervisor, as manager, as administrator, I think employer or whatever, I think those power differentials seem to me very similar. So I, I've got my answer. We don't have to belabor, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think it's something where that is a really good point where we need to look at as we become licensed and we move into this place where we can make decisions about what we do. What if we're taking on supervision, we have to recognize these power differentials in the relationships that we're developing with people coming behind us. A big part of that is knowing yourself. There, and we're, we're getting kind of really off track. So I'm going to try and bring us back to our, our point at hand here. But okay, some of the same steps that we want developmentally to have a therapist move past or move through in order to become a more effective therapist involves looking and owning their flaws and their motivations and their transference and countertransference reactions you have to go through some of those same developmental steps when you take on that supervision step. That mm -hmm. There might be a competitiveness that you feel with a supervisee, or if you're the employer and you are having a supervisee who's making more money than you because they're in a direct care position and you're in an administrative position. Mm -hmm. there, there's a number of things that you have to be responsible for in managing in order to help deepen that relationship. And I don't think that most current supervision trainings, now there are really good certification mm -hmm. supervision programs out there, but I don't think that most standards right now are currently at a place that really encourages that sort of deep looking at what the supervisor's reaction is. So, you know, if we're getting really meta about this, <laughs> You should have an emotionally focused supervision idea for the supervisor too. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why a lot of, at least in the, the agencies I've worked with, the uh, supervision of supervision can be hugely impactful and very important for folks. And I think that's something that is just awesome. So at every stage, I think having someone that can really help you to have the space to explore those things, whether it's cons consultation, supervision, or if we're looking at therapy, and that's a whole other distinction that we're not going to talk about today, but 
But I think it is. It's important to have that space at each stage to be able to do that self-assessment. And we've talked about kind of for pre-licensed folks what that looks like. And then when someone's getting licensed, there's the issue of licensing exam taking up any additional brain space. And then when you get licensed, it it shifts again. So I think at each stage, finding space to do that self-assessment and and have the space for personal growth, there's just the time. There just feels like there's no time or space for it. And I know that that's where efficiency becomes a passion for me, because if I can get everything else efficient, I can focus on the clinical and the the consultation and the, the learning. But what are your thoughts about it? Because I'm talking. We, we've talked about these magical places that that do this, but it's there's realities. <laughs> there, there really is realities, and I I will talk about my supervision in my practice of people going through their licensing tests, and especially their their last one, which here in California is a monster. A uh, monster test. <laughs> but. You know, it, I, I see people who are so deathly afraid of failing that test, and this is both within my practice and and outside of it, but mm-hmm. that they take several months to study for it. And mm-hmm. during that time, their focus on building their business, their their caseloads typically drop down. That yeah, the it it really is such a an emotional sort of situation that they're going through that their productivity really does drop. And I have not really looked or, or or tracked, you know, what their client progress is during those study times. But I imagine that that dips down too. Mm-hmm. And when they finally do pass that test, it's kind of being it's it's like having you know a new map in a video game open up. Like it's it's a world <laughs> that they see that they haven't ever been able to see before. Nothing's changed other than that they now have a license on the wall. Mm-hmm. But it's now at this point where developmentally so much of the focus has been on meeting these external sort of guides. Yeah. And now they're looking at really moving into exploring who they can be. And if there's something that I would really like to change about mental health systems is that it's encouraging this personal exploration while developing, not kind of after licensure. Because then we really end up with a system of, pre-licensees who have this very closed off view of what well, I just need to get my hours. I'm going to get my hours as quickly as I can. Where can I get my hours? Can I have more hours, please? And mm-hmm. then once they get licensed, they start to slow their role enough that they're able to appreciate trainings in a different way, that they're able to apply things with their clients in a more conceptual way. And really, I think that a lot of it is just that they don't feel the pressures to perform so much as it is an actual maturity difference. And I think that if we can separate that out just a little bit to A, encourage free licensees that the grass on the other side of the licensure thing is only a slightly different shade of green. (laughs) (laughs) But that you can really develop a lot more by slowing down. And we talked about this last week, but to slow down just enough that you're able to perceive the world in a way that's a lot more mature and a developmental task that most people don't hit until after licensure. Yeah, I I definitely think that's important. I think the systemic issues with that are some that are pretty, they're not insurmountable, but they're pretty 
pretty monstrous. They're pretty big. And I think being able to identify ways to change the system, which is potentially funding to make it more lucrative to be (laughs) pre-licensed because there's a lot of people who are trying to get licensed just so they can make money. And, and that's a survival need in a lot of ways. And so saying like, Hey, slow down, that's hard. But I think there's also such an infrastructure around community mental health and there's a lot of uncertainty around private practice. And so they're really, I mean, if we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I think I talked about last week, we're the basic survival stuff. We need to ensure that better. And I don't know how we get more funding for mental health. I don't know how we make that work better, but to go, to move, move that forward. I think being able at each stage to figure out how you get what you need is the first step and to ask for what you need is the first step. But there's only so much you can ask for. And so I really want to shift again back kind of to the people who are licensed because that's where they have choices. And I think that the piece with that is you want, we want you to slow your roll. Take your time to get licensed. Learn what you need to learn because getting licensed basically just means that now the liability is 100% yours. But there really are a lot more choices at that point when you're licensed. You can run your own business. You can work on your own. You can, you know, you can become a contractor. For, well, I guess maybe not in California, but you can, <laughs> you can do some things at different places where pre-licensed didn't have those options, you know? So I think it, it becomes very important to identify how do you set up a career that works for you so that you don't have the same issues. Because I know for myself, I took a long time to take my second test because of my own stuff. So I could have taken the test, failed and taken it again. So there was that too. (laughs) You know, I I slowed down, but only for nervousness sake. But I think that there's that piece of taking advantage of the structure that's already there, because I think people get so burned out that they don't actually take advantage of it. This is kind of that developmental task that if you go just past that initial licensure stage, but kind of the vast majority of your career that you look at, and Katie and I are both in this developmental stage, is you you really look at what your measures of effectiveness and what your satisfaction is based mm-hmm. on kind of realistic and internal sort of principles that you're basing things on your experience of being able to see what the system is, be able to see how you fit within that system, be able to see and embrace what opportunities that you have. Katie and I are very fortunate that we've been able to forge our own businesses in this world. We've been able to get involved in a lot of different levels, politically, actively, legislatively, Mm -hmm. businessly. Uh, Is that even a word? But... um, You know, we we recognize that we have opportunities that not everybody's going to have. And with that, we're able to take on some things that other people might not have the time or energy or even the opportunity to recognize as things to care about. And we probably care about some things that other people in their right mind would choose. Why are you even bothering with that? But, (laughs) But we're also able to be a little bit idealistic in some of the things that we take on because we do have these opportunities and because some of our successes have led to other successes. And uh, some of that's even just listeners like you listening to us. So here's another thank you to you for being a listener. (laughs) But 
with being able to personally choose how we go about, we're able to be competent about where professional boundaries are and be able to push them in ways that are innovative and are able to follow within the the laws and the regulations that happen and be able to challenge things that we feel are unjust or unfair. And you hear us encourage you to get into this space from the very beginning of your career. And we recognize not every grad student is going to have the time to handle two practicums and a paying job and a full-time coursework and a family and get involved on a legislative level or get involved in a, mm-hmm. in a social movement level. But whatever you can do in this space does help you to move into later developmental stages as a therapist in a lot more strong way, in a way that really does help you to be authentic and to be able to be what we espouse as the whole person therapist in order to move through your career in a happier, healthier way. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I, th- I agree. I think it is somewhat idealistic, but I think that there are pieces that are possible at every stage. Even even if your bandwidth is low, even if your resources are minimal, I think being able to sign up on your professional organization's website for legislative action committee kind of thing, you know, where people can, where you can just send emails or whatever. So even if it's just signing up for an email list that you can email or call your your legislators and and take some action, even if it's making sure that you keep looking for jobs if you're not getting paid or you're not getting paid enough, even if it's really asking for the supervision you need, if it's giving the supervision you can. I know for me, when I was licensed, I started really planning my schedule based on what I felt like I needed. And I set limits and left at the end of the day. You know, I think there's there's different ways. And, and I think we talk about some of those tactics in the toxic work environments episode. But I think finding ways that you can incorporate clinical training into your group supervision, whether you're a participant or the supervisor, finding ways that you can really do this emotionally focused therapy adjusted supervision. I think all of those things, they're tiny little things, you know, kind of functionally, logistically, but they make such a huge difference because it starts changing the, the, the dynamic of how we work. And I think each individual kind of taking charge of their own motivation, their own attitude, <laughs> the, the the level of optimism they can bring into the room and into each of the each of the rooms, the, the therapy room, the supervision room, the you know, the legislative, you know, space, whatever, when we can bring that optimism in it, that also spreads because we know that when we've got the person that's constantly pessimistic that's saying, I can't believe that we have to do this, or I can't believe they're making us do this, or those kinds of things. Yes, we need to rail at the system when the system is wrong. But I think when you can find the ways within the system to slowly make those changes, if you don't have the bandwidth or the privilege to be able to kind of rock the boat, 
because certainly if you need the job, you don't necessarily want to be rocking the boat all the time. But when you can add some of that, that stuff in there, you know, the limit setting, asking for what you're worth in a session, you know, or, or with, for your salary, or at least trying to negotiate, right? When you can do each of those pieces, it makes your life better, but it also starts slowly shifting the system. Now, if you can, if you can come with us to DC and to, to lobby, let's do it. <laughs> but if that's not, if that's not in your trajectory, if that's not, you don't have the bandwidth for it, you can still do things on a personal level and on a local level that will help you to, to have less, you know, less of this burnout or less of this kind of being stuck at earlier developmental stages because you've not been able to have the time to work through them. What we see when people don't hit their developmental stages, when you are getting into that meat of your career post-licensure sort of thing is that cynicism, that burnout, that comes in a, a lot of different ways. And it's complaining about the system as opposed to speaking up against it. And the way that I see that as being different is that if you don't take action on things, then you're kind of just part of the problem. And really, it's being able to identify what these problems are and to be able to get involved in meetings or encouraging changes that happen. So that way, you're not sitting at the end of your career expecting that you'll be recognized based on all of this hard work that you put in in a system that never recognized you, but that you really do have principles and things that you stand for that you are okay being recognized for. And you're okay if other people don't appreciate what you've done in your particular direction, that you don't need everybody's acceptance in order to have a worthwhile career that you really do hold hold on to your principles and that you live by them because what happens when you don't is that you become the bitter therapist who has a chip on their shoulder that expects everybody to recognize them that you are expecting a recognition based on things that you did a long time ago when in fact really it's about moving everything forward either individually but also professionally and leaving the field as a better place for uh, those who are following in your footsteps. I think that's so important. I think being able to really have a very personal look at how you want to practice, who you want to be, and and what you want to leave behind in a lot of ways, and how you help the people coming behind you. I think that's it's really it can be very personal. I think you and I have tried to move it from the personal to the social movement. Right? We want. Mm-hmm. We want people to join us. We want it to be part of this thing. But each person has to understand personally what it is that they want to be doing. And I think it can be so easy at any stage to be so overwhelmed, so day-to-day, you know, just grinding through your work life that you don't think about it and you don't actually align what you're doing with your own personal values, with your ideas of how you can really approach and and work towards excellence in your clinical work. I think so many people are so exhausted that they don't have the bandwidth to even take a breath and say, okay, let's, let's think about this. And I think that, I think if, if people take nothing but that look, slow down for yourself, take a break, identify how you can take some of these steps so that you can create a, a career that's, worth 
<laughs> fighting for. <laughs> um, I think if we can just do that and look at it on a personal level, how do I make this work for me? I think if people can take that, that would make me happy. So on that note, put it all together. Recognize where you're at developmentally. Look at you. Make a space for your emotional reactions to not just your clients and not just the counter-transference that you might be feeling, but about your job, about your involvement in the profession, about how you come across to employees if you're in some sort of supervisory role within your treatment team, if you share workspace with a bunch of others. And, and who you are in your personal life and how you want to show up in that place too. Because I think as whole person therapists, it's also about who you show up as a person. And that. And that. <laughs> and make the adjustments to be who you want to be. And on that note, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.